1: It's been 3,122 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February twenty seventh, 2014, and 205 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian millbloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, Russia's stature on the world stage is increasingly damaged, with a growing list of government officials, news personalities, and mill bloggers criticizing the special military operation. Second, Russian attempts to stealth-mobilize more troops are almost certain to fail, as the efforts are too little, too late, and recruitment programs are driven by desperation, not patriotism. Third, Russia's attempt to disrupt the Ukrainian counteroffensive by destroying a dam on the Inulets River has failed, and it likely used 25 to 33 percent of Russia's entire supply of Kinzhal hypersonic missiles. Fourth, we maintain the continued Russian offensive on Bakhmut Solidar is pointless and will not provide a tactical or strategic victory. Further, Ukraine's targeting of supply lines and troop concentrations appears to be impacting Russian combat capabilities. Fifth, the amount of artillery and rocket fire by Russian troops continues to drop theater-wide, and we assess that issue is less about available ammunition and more about broken Russian logistics and corruption. Sixth, We maintain our assessment that as the situation for Russian troops in Kherson worsens due to supply issues and conditions, forces will seek to surrender. Seventh, we maintain our assessment that the Russian military in Ukraine is combat destroyed, and the Russian military has no meaningful way to respond to the ongoing collapse with their available resources. Eighth, There is now a small but noteworthy risk that as the quote special military operation fails, the Putin regime will be at risk of political upheaval that could result in government changes. And finally, regrettably, our assessment that war crimes would be discovered in Izum was correct, with significant developments in the last 24 hours. Let's get some regional updates, starting with the Kherson counteroffensive and Mykolaiv. Russian accounts reported that a Ukrainian reconnaissance group was able to advance to Charivne unimpeded and found the settlement undefended. There were no reports of Ukrainian forces attempting to occupy the settlement, which we view as a critical location that would provide fire control over the T 2207 Highway G lock and a road intersection that provides an alternative route to Russian-occupied Betislav. At the time of recording, there were unconfirmed reports that Ukrainian forces were attempting to advance on Cherivne and secure the town. Russian sources claim that Ukrainian forces are attacking the Russian positions in davri from the rear using small assault teams. This activity provides an additional data point the T-2207G lock from Bruskinsk is either heavily contested or severed, and Ukrainian forces can increasingly move through the Kherson tree lines that separate the wheat fields. Claims that Ukrainian forces occupied Kiselivka, about 15 kilometers north of Kherson, were walked back on Thursday. According to Russian sources, the genesis of the claims came from Anatoly Shari, a former Ukrainian politician who is wanted for treason and is now living in Spain. We've adjusted the map based on the updated intelligence and consider Kiselyvka an unoccupied no-man's land. Ukraine hit Kherson with rockets fired by HIMARS, sparking a large fire within the city. The Antonovsky Bridge was also hit with at least six rockets fired by HIMARS. Quick sidebar, they have hit that bridge so many times. They are very thorough. The Ukrainian Air Force flew nine missions and ground forces completed 330 fire missions on Russian targets. An ammunition depot in Berislav was destroyed, along with Russian pontoon bridges in Darivka, Sadovoy, and Novakhovka. Russian sources are reporting that the amount of Russian artillery fire on the front lines of Kherson is in decline, and that despite the damage to the dam in Kriviri, Reinforcements are freely moving into the Inulets River bridgehead. We maintain our assessment that Russian military supplies are running critically low in some places, despite what could be called heroic efforts to maintain supply lines across the Nipro with pontoon bridges, ferries, and helicopters. PMC Wagner Telegram Channel Gray Zone dismissed Russian Ministry of Defense claims that Ukraine attempted an amphibious assault on the Kinburn Spit involving multiple boats and helicopters. PMC Wagner claims they spoke with Russian troops on the Spit and nearby civilians, who all said there was no such attack. Russian leaders of the Skadovsky district also claimed there were no reports of gunfire, explosions, or helicopters in the area. In other news, the RIA banned the Gray Zone Channel in Russia for breaking the so called Don't Say War laws. Just kidding, that last part didn't actually happen. OCS reported that Russian missiles targeted Ochakiv on the Black Sea coast for the second day in a row. There wasn't information on the target, but the report cryptically said, quote, without human loss. There continues to be significant chatter in the Russian millblogger community that Ukraine is setting conditions for a second push on Russian defensive lines. We have noticed a darkening in the mood among the Russian community about the situation in Kherson in the last 24 hours. Our assessment of the Kherson counteroffensive and Mykolaiv is unchanged from September 11th. You'll find it in the first seven minutes of Sunday's episode. Let's move on to Dnipropetrovsk and northern Zaporizhia. There was no change in the status of the Zaporizhia Nuclear Power Plant, or ZNPP, where the situation has stabilized. In a meeting of the 35-member nation International Atomic Energy Agency, a resolution that calls on Moscow to, quote, immediately cease all actions against and at the Zaporizhia Nuclear Power Plant and any other nuclear facilities in Ukraine, end quote, passed with 26 in favor, two against, and six abstentions. The two no-votes came from Russia and China. There weren't any reports of significant shelling of Nikopol or the surrounding communities. Oleksandr Vilkul, head of the Kriviri Military Civilian Administration, reported that another Russian missile struck the city. Vilkul asked residents not to take pictures or videos and share them on social media. There were unconfirmed reports that another dam or dike system was struck, but that it did not cause significant flooding. Ukrainian engineers were able to remove the damaged floodgate from yesterday's missile strike, enabling them to install a replacement. The new gate will be stuck in the closed position, but it will stop the uncontrolled flow from the damaged dam. now to the Donbass region, starting with southern Zaporizhia. There was only sporadic artillery fire along the line of conflict, from the Donetsk-Zaporizhia administrative border to Juliapola, to Oryhiv, to mali Explosions were reported in Russian-occupied Melitopol by Ivan Fedorov, the exiled mayor. Russian officials claim the blasts were controlled explosions of discovered IEDs. In southwest Donetsk, The Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, Militia Press Office, appears to have made a false claim of successful advances toward Krasnohorivka. The video shows Ukrainian defense positions being shelled with three artillery strikes and at least two armored vehicles hit, one with an ammunition cook-off. The DNR claims that Ukrainian forces retreated, the position was taken over, and equipment was captured. The two stilled photos of deceased Ukrainian service members were taken from corpses that had been dead for weeks, if not longer, and the captured vehicle did not match the geography or weather conditions in the video. DNR forces have lost control of the settlements near Krasnohorivka and likely blended the artillery strike video, which was quite real, with exaggerated claims in an attempt to bolster morale. Otherwise, the DNR made no other claims of offensive operations. Based on the same video, Russian sources made even wilder claims that the Ukrainian 100th Brigade has, quote, abandoned their positions in Krasnohorivka. West of Donetsk, there were only positional battles and skirmishes in Avdivka and Novomikhailivka. There was only sporadic artillery fire on the line of conflict, with growing indications that Russian forces are running low on ammunition, and rockets for Multiple Launch Rocket Systems, or MLRS. Rockets fired by HIMARS or Ukrainian artillery struck another ammunition or fuel depot in Makievka, which has been subject to daily attacks this week. In Bakhmut? Well, Bakhmut is the only region in Ukraine where significant kinetic warfare continues, and even then, fighting decreased dramatically. Ukraine's targeting of Russian ground lines of communication, or GLOCs, those are supply lines, troop concentrations and ammunition depots east of Bakhmut appear to be paying dividends. There were only skirmishes east of Bakhmut, where Ukrainian forces have reportedly pushed exhausted PMC Wagner mercenaries back. Wagner also continued their attempts to advance into Vesela Dolina and Odradivka without success. Khadidovites with the 141st Akhmat continued their efforts in Zaitseve, the Zaitseve south of Bakhmut, and at the Mayorsk train station. The situation remains unchanged. Our assessment in Bakhmut is also unchanged. From August 25th, we recapped it on yesterday's episode around minute 14. In northeast Donetsk and Luhansk, a new video confirms that Russian troops control Lehman and shows that fighting has not been happening within the town. This aligns with reports from Wargonzo that fighting has been occurring outside of Lehman in the surrounding forests. Deep State reported that Ukrainian forces liberated Dibrova and suggested that reports of fighting in Lehman may have been due to the fog of war confusing the two locations north of the Seversky Donetsk River. Some quick assessment. After a week of data and confusing reports, we believe this is a pretty solid theory. Headquarters and troop barracks for Russian forces in Lusychansk were destroyed in a HIMARS attack. There wasn't information on casualties or which units were stationed at the location. Russian officials must be avid fans of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, as a popular refrain has become, Don't panic. We're not sure if they're asking citizens to also carry a towel. Sidebar? That's another Gen X reference. Leonid Pasichnik, the leader of the self proclaimed Luhansk People's Republic, admitted that Ukrainian forces were advancing into the Russian occupied region just 10 weeks after declaring victory and said, quote, I want to reassure everyone that there are absolutely no reasons to panic. Life in the Republic continues as usual. End quote. Okay, in hindsight, that statement appears to be less Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and more Mohammed Saeed al-Sahaf, a.k.a. Baghdad Bob. Russian forces shelled sections of the T-1302 highway, the towns surrounding Siversk, and Bilohorivka, the Bilohorivka in Luhansk. Our assessment here? We maintain the Russian occupation of most of Luhansk is now at risk of collapsing with the fall of the Azum Axis, and Ukrainian troops actively operating across the Sivirsky-Donetsk River. Moving on to the Kharkiv region, Russian sources claim that Ukrainian troops have occupied Oskil, and Russian troops withdrew from Studenok to avoid encirclement. A video we shared yesterday showed that Russian military equipment in Yatskivka was subject to artillery and drone attacks, and it was unclear if any Russian troops remained. Ukraine has set up artillery positions in Khorchovatka, Kupyansk, and potentially khryanykivka which is east of the Oskil River. The liberation of khryanykivka which is unconfirmed, would bring the Dovorichna Bridge under Ukrainian control. Ukrainian forces have also established a garrison in Veliky Borluk and are building stronger defensive positions along the Russian frontier. Russian sources also reported that Ukrainian special operation forces had established bridgeheads across the Oskil River in, quote, multiple locations, and performed sabotage, reconnaissance, and attacked targets of opportunity. The city of Kharkiv was hit by S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for ground attack, injuring four people. At least one missile crashed into the Slobitsky district, damaging a two-story block of apartments— Partially collapsing the building and destroying the parking garage. Another missile landed in the border village of Zolachiv, landing in the street and causing minimal damage. Ukraine continues to recover abandoned Russian military equipment and find large ammunition stores across Kharkiv. The GSAFU shared a collection of photographs of the newly acquired gear and mockingly thanked Russia for the quote, lend lease program they started. Ukrainian mechanics are finding that some of the abandoned Russian equipment is broken. Ukrainian troops are finding Russian tanks and infantry fighting vehicles, or IFV, that could fire their main guns but couldn't run, and vice versa. Ukraine captured an unusual piece of Russian hardware in Kharkiv, a ZS-82 psychological operations vehicle. The ZS-82 is built on the BRDM-2 armored scout car, and has a loudspeaker system. We are 99.99% sure we reported on this vehicle being used earlier in the war to repeatedly play the Russian national anthem to Ukrainian troops south of Izum. In recently liberated Izum, trouble is brewing among liberated residents. Arguments broke out among those who refused humanitarian aid from the Russians and those who didn't, with the people accepting the Russian aid accused of being collaborators. One woman said, what was I supposed to do, starve? End quote. With another bitterly saying, quote, You sold off Ukraine for a bit of food. That's it. End quote. Later, that same woman talking to a reporter struck a more conciliatory tone, hoping that things could return to normal and saying, quote, This madness must be stopped. End quote. The State Investigation Bureau of Ukraine detained three women accused of collaborating with Russian forces during Izum's occupation. Two women worked in tax offices and helped identify members of the resistance. The third woman joined the so-called People's Militia and attempted to recruit other Izum police officers to join her. She is also accused of helping Russian forces track down Ukrainian government leaders. Some Ukrainian soldiers who have been on the front lines of Kharkiv are being rotated off the battlefield for well-earned relief. In recently liberated Shevchenkov, a Ukrainian service member on a motorbike was greeted by waving residents chanting Slava Ukraini as he rode by. In the Black Sea, Crimea, and Odessa region, Ukrainian air defenses intercepted a Russian cruise missile near Odessa. There were no injuries or damage, with residents reporting a loud explosion. Naval expert H.I. Sutton reported that the Russian Black Sea Fleet had relocated its Kilo-class submarines from Sevastopol to the Russian naval base in Novorossiysk. Sutton believes Russian naval commanders made the move due to concerns over Ukraine's access to Harpoon missiles, ability to fly air sorties over the Black Sea, and recent drone and missile strikes. The remains of a Russian Kh-22 cruise missile washed up on a Crimean beach. The missile likely failed after launch and crashed into the Black Sea. In central Ukraine, a Russian missile struck an infrastructure facility in Petrov in the Kurovrad oblast, while a second missile was shot down. Andriy Raikovych, the head of the Kurovrad oblast military administration, did not provide additional details on the target or damage. The town sits on the west and east banks of the Inulets River.
0: You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News.
1: Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. There is a rumor among Russian troops that a portion of the, quote, special military operation will end on December 1, 2022, with Russian forces retreating from some areas of Ukraine after that date. Members of the Russian 14th Separate Special Forces Brigade are telling people in the LNR and DNR that after that date, control will be handed over to the 1st and 2nd Army Corps, which are combat-destroyed, and have no viable way of reconstituting their force strength. Russian accounts claimed that Ukraine attacked the border village of Oliki in Bilgorod. Multiple videos showed that at least one missile launched from 5 kilometers away toward Kharkiv experienced an in-flight failure and crashed into the village. In a video that shows the rocket launches, the lights go out a few seconds later due to the failed rocket destroying an electrical substation. Governor Haidai of the Luhansk Oblast told Newsweek in an exclusive interview that, if necessary, Ukraine would fire at Russian positions over the border to protect the sovereignty of the liberated territories, saying, quote, if they fire at us from any location, we will not hold back, and we will return fire regardless of where they are, End quote. Luhansk Oblast is the only region Russia could claim was fully captured after its February 24th attack on Ukraine. In our assessment, and at the risk of being pedantic, we believe Russia never gained complete control of Bilohorivka or Zolotorivka. The United States Department of Defense announced another military aid package valued at $600 million for Ukraine. The details of what was being provided were light, only saying that additional arms, munitions, and equipment were being provided. So far, the Biden administration has given 14.5 billion dollars in military aid to Ukraine since January 20th, 2021. Germany announced they would be providing Ukraine with 50 Dingo mine-resistant ambush-protected vehicles and, more importantly, two additional Mars 2 MLRS launchers with 200 M30 M31 rockets. The Mars 2 is the German version of the United States M270 Which can fire up to twelve rockets versus six from the M one hundred forty two HIMARS system. Additionally, a circular deal between Germany, Greece, and Ukraine appears to be reaching its conclusion. Germany has agreed to provide forty German Martyr IFVs to Greece, which will transfer forty BMP one IFVs to Ukraine. The deal has been derided for taking so long, with many questioning the operational state of the Greek BMP ones that will be sent to Ukraine. Some NATO nations have been quiet about the equipment they have donated to Ukraine for security reasons. Pictures have emerged showing Finnish Sisu XA-180 and XA-182 armored personnel carriers, or APCs, serving in Ukraine. The APCs are lightly armored but are designed to be simple to operate. They only require two crew members and can carry up to 16 troops, which are called dismounts. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said that Ukraine is negotiating with five different countries to provide additional air defense systems to Ukraine. Ukraine has already received systems from Germany and has commitments from Norway and the United States on a jointly developed system. In addition, the country is in ongoing talks with Italy, France, and Israel. In southern Crimea, Russia was taking T-90A main battle tanks, or MBTs, out of storage Although it was unclear if they intended to deploy the MBTs to Ukraine or would transfer the equipment back to Russia. Russia has had to deploy tanks with only two crew members and has used volunteers who were voluntold from the naval infantry to fulfill the roles of gunners and crew members. Russia suffering a battlefield defeat wouldn't be complete without Western headlines declaring that if the West doesn't let the Wookiee win, sorry, George Lucas, there would be a nuclear war. A story published by Insider quoted Brown University's Cost of War Project, saying in part, quote, It is important that the U.S. not succumb to threat inflation or speech that gives an exaggerated sense of danger in regards to public and official perceptions of Russia. End quote. The United States has actively avoided discussion on nuclear weapon capabilities or response. The Pentagon has openly refused to comment on multiple threats from Moscow to use nuclear weapons saying, only irresponsible nations have such discussions. Some assessment here? Multiple nations have offered off-ramps to the Kremlin and President Putin, and to date, they have refused to accept any of them. We acknowledge that a balance must be maintained to avoid traveling down the path of mutual-assured destruction-instability paradox. Maria Zakharova, press secretary of the Russian Foreign Ministry, drew another red line once again stating that if the United States provides so-called long-range missiles, Moscow will consider the U.S. a, quote, party of the conflict and reserve the right to defend their territories with, quote, all means available. Editors note, someone please update the sign, it has been zero days since Russia threatened to use nuclear weapons. Look, any NATO involvement was a red line. Heavy weapons were a red line. Anti-ship missiles were a red line. Fighter planes were a red line. Tanks were a red line. HIMARS were a red line. Medium-range air defense systems were a red line. Military training of Ukrainian troops was a red line. Seriously? Chill out. The United States Army plans to triple the production rate of 155mm artillery shells and M30-M31 rockets for the HIMARS system to replenish stockpiles and support Ukraine's war against Russia. Doug Bush, Assistant Secretary of the Army for Acquisition, Logistics, and Technology, said that the United States needs to prepare for the next war and recognize the larger role the M-142 and M-270 GMLRS rocket systems play on the modern battlefield. Major General and aspiring dentist Ramzan Kadyrov has expressed shock at how quickly Russian troops in Kharkiv collapsed and frustration with the Kremlin's refusal to declare martial law and mobilize. He called upon Russia's 85 district governors to self-mobilize 1,000 soldiers each for the war in Ukraine. His plan would not involve the Russian Ministry of Defense, and instead calls for soldiers to self-fund, buy their own uniforms and weapons, pay for training, and transit to Ukraine. That's a really good deal. The Russian Ministry of Defense already called for Russian districts to mobilize 400 volunteers each in July to form the 3rd Army Corps. The districts were only able to raise 30% of the national goal, and so far, the 3rd Army Corps has been ineffective and divided into two brigades. One half remains stuck in training on the Ukrainian border and may never deploy due to an extreme number of refusals. The second part was deployed to Kharkiv but arrived too late to make a difference and suffered heavy casualties in a HIMARS strike before reaching the battlefield. The remaining troops are reportedly being deployed to Donetsk and Zaporizhia. PMC Wagner Telegram channel Gray Zone dismissed the idea. Wagner cited the idea as a dead end due to the weakening Russian economy, failed attempts to mobilize despite significant incentives, and the type of people these programs attract saying, quote, These individuals lack two main factors for the infantry, experience and motivation. And in society, due to the decrease in approval of the conduct of hostilities in Ukraine, the already high protest activity will increase. All this together can lead to irreparable consequences. End quote. Some within the Russian government have embraced the self-mobilization call to arms. Sergey Oksoyanov, the head of the Russian-occupied government in Crimea, committed to forming two volunteer battalions. Not to be outdone, Kadirov's administration has prepared a draft resolution calling for a, quote, fall mobilization of 18- to 26-year-olds. If passed, the mobilization would begin on October 1st and continue until December 31st. The resolution also calls for special military units to be formed to find draft dodgers and take them into custody. Some assessment here. Kadyrov can mobilize all he wants, but his recent videos show the 141st Akhmat is manned by poorly equipped older men with low morale. There are verified reports of LNR and DNR conscripts being sent to the front lines unarmed and told to find a weapon from a dead soldier on the battlefield. Ad hoc deployments of unwilling young men who receive two weeks of training and face deployment in potentially arctic conditions will not change the war's course. It will only help reinforce Chechnya's position as a rump state of the Russian Federation. Video from the Tombov region of Russia showed a convoy of prison vehicles allegedly transporting 400 convicts signed up to fight with PMC Wagner. The prisoners will receive two weeks of training before being sent to the front lines on a six-month do-or-die contract. In August, we reported that penal units were suffering casualty rates above 90%, and regular Wagner units were refusing to integrate with the convict mercenaries. Yevgeny Prigozhin, the oligarch and close Putin ally that allegedly funds and heads PMC Wagner, defended his convict recruiting efforts, saying, Those who do not want PMCs to fight, and prisoners who talk about this topic who do not want to do anything, and in principle, people who do not like this topic, send your children to the front. Either PMCs and prisoners or your children." Decide for yourself. Editors note Or take the L and go home. Then you don't have to send convicts or someone's son to war. And to be fair, convicts are also someone's son. PMC Wagner Channel Reverse Side of the Metal, or RSOTM, continues to openly attack the Russian Ministry of Defense and its leadership. Today they shared a post from Shari the exiled pro-Russian Ukrainian journalist hiding on a yacht in Spain. Cherie praised the successes of Wagner PMC, claiming the mercenaries were more successful because of the, quote, attitude of management and due to their commanders being selected on merit and not for being, quote, ass Multiple videos are emerging from Russian-occupied Luhansk showing men forcibly mobilized off the streets, In one video, a young man refused to present his paperwork to officials, who started to beat him on the street while a man of giant proportions menaced him. The video is, of course, linked in our full situation report on Patreon. You should check it out. The man is a James Bond criminal henchman-looking mountain of a human being. The main intelligence directorate of the Ministry of Defense of Ukraine, or SBU, reported that similar goon squads are roaming in Donetsk. But in the city of Khorlivka, they can't find any men left, only women. The militia has been tasked with forcibly mobilizing 6,000 people, but they can't meet the goal after eight years of war has obliterated the adult male population. Raids have been happening in the central market, public places, and even in the long lines of people waiting to buy gasoline and diesel fuel. The Russian telegram channel Russian Community Zov wrote an open letter to the Russian Ministry of Defense complaining about the treatment of wounded contract soldiers. The list of grievances included contract service members in the Russian Military Army Reserves, or BARS, not receiving a copy of their signed military contract, which causes a cascade of problems once deployed. Wounded soldiers are no longer paid and do not receive insurance or bonus money. Military hospitals are minimizing injuries in medical records to avoid providing a form 100. The form entitles service members to additional medical benefits from the Russian military. For example, compound fractures are listed as sutured wounds on medical records, and concussions are listed as age-related diseases. As we've previously reported, Russian community Zov claims that wounded service members are released from the hospitals still needing treatment with no money transportation and in some cases, clothing. Wounded soldiers who return home are denied continued medical treatment at military hospitals because they don't hold a copy of their contract and their service member cards aren't stamped to show they served in Ukraine. Yesterday we reported on a convoy of fresh Kadyrovites in a convoy that we did not have time to geolocate before recording. That convoy has been geolocated and was located in Grozny. According to the Oryx database, Russia has lost almost 6,100 pieces of military equipment since February 24th. Russia claimed that 1,200 tanks were committed to the initial invasion effort. After 204 days of war, 93% of the original force has been visually confirmed as destroyed, damaged, captured, or abandoned. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is some graphic detail in today's report, and if you're sensitive to descriptions of human rights abuses, please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. Former prisoner of war Ukrainian medic Yulia Payevska, better known by her nickname Tyra, testified for the first time about her experiences in a Russian POW camp. Testifying before the United States Congress members with the Helsinki Commission, a visibly aged Tyra spoke of torture, prisoners beaten to death, and cradling the dying in her arms in crowded prison cells. She reported that a seven-year-old was imprisoned and died in her lap because there was no medical equipment or medicine to treat the child. Torture sessions would start by stripping Ukrainian prisoners naked and tormenting and beating them. Torture sessions could last for weeks, with some prisoners beaten to death. Tyra said that while she was being tortured, one of her captors asked, Do you know why we do this to you? She responded with, Because you can. At least two mass grave sites have been found in the forests near Izum, one to the west and one to the east. One site combines marked and mass graves, including one confirmed site holding 17 Ukrainian soldiers. Ukrainian President Zelensky had previously stated that war crimes as bad as Bucha have already been identified. In a televised statement, Zelensky said, Tomorrow there will be Ukrainian and international journalists in Izum. We want the world to know what is really happening and what the Russian occupation has led to. Bucha, Mariupol, now, unfortunately, Izum. Russia leaves death everywhere, and it must be held accountable for that. It is reported that among the dead are foreign exchange students from an unnamed Asian country who could not evacuate ahead of the Russian advance. Ukrainian officials are also finding more torture chambers in Kharkiv, and in some cases, the bare electrical wires and chairs used to strap victims in were left behind, the wires still plugged in and energized. Torturers would wear masks, and put pictures drawn by their children outside of the cells where detainees were held. Ukrainian border guards freed a group of teenagers who had been locked by Russian authorities in a cellar for a week. The group of four girls and one boy were imprisoned in Kupiansk and had come from across previously Russian-occupied Kharkiv. The teens said they were taken into custody during quote, "filtration measures" and were given no reason why. Officials said the teens were being interviewed by authorities and receiving aid to help them deal with the trauma of their captivity. Heavy shelling in Bakhmut destroyed an apartment building, with rescuers recovering the body of a civilian. Bakhmut has been under near-continuous attack for two months. Approximately 90% of the population heeded mandatory evacuation orders issued in August. Most of those who remain are sick, poor, elderly, or pro-Russian members of the Ukrainian population. In recently liberated Balaklia, Ukrainian administrators discovered that retreating Russian forces destroyed the Gharakiv gas building and gutted natural gas infrastructure to 5,000 people. Ukrainian linemen and engineers are working to restore electrical and natural gas service in the recently liberated Kharkiv territories following Explosive Ordnance Disposal, or EOD, experts who are demining critical areas to accelerate reintegration. Ukrainian citizens still in occupied territories sense that liberation is coming, and with it, open questions on what to do with collaborators. Many call for no amnesty, such as in 2015 as part of Minsk II, while others call for imprisonment or revoking the right to vote in the future. Some assessment? While the ongoing war is against Russia— Its roots can be traced to the Russian propaganda-fomented civil war that started before the 2014 Russian occupation of Crimea. With a victory against Russia and total liberation of Ukraine now a possibility, the biggest challenge for the Ukrainian people and Kyiv may not be winning their war against Russia, but preventing sectarian violence among themselves when Russia leaves. Reintegration will be difficult and painful and will likely take a generation. And while Ukraine attempts to heal, Russia will continue to use mutual distrust as a cudgel. The issue of what to do with collaborators will be more complicated as Russia refuses to recognize the passports they issued to Ukrainian nationals who attempted to flee from Kharkiv, Luhansk, and Donetsk. Now viewed as Russian citizens on paper, they have become stateless people facing 12 years in prison in Ukraine as traitors. There are rumors on the Internet that Ochersuj Mongush, the man accused of beating, torturing, castrating and executing a Ukrainian POW in June during the Russian Severodonetsk offensive, was captured in the Kharkiv Oblast. These rumors are false. And the photo of a wounded Russian POW of Central Asian descent is not the same man. Investigators with Bellingcat tracked down Mongush and interviewed him by telephone. He is home in the Tuva region of Russia, is no longer serving in Ukraine, and claims the video showing his brutality is a fake created to discredit him. In geopolitical news, Ukraine, Moldova, and Romania announced a partnership between the three nations to work collaboratively on energy security. Ukraine hosted the meeting in Odessa, creating a framework to share electrical networks, They also discussed managing the flow of refugees and humanitarian needs and assuring the three nations have safe and reliable transportation networks. The Moldovan Civil Aviation Authority shot down Air Moldova's plans to restart direct flight service from Chisinau to Moscow. Service was supposed to begin on August first. with Air Moldova arguing that there are Moldovan residents stuck in Russia who want to get home. The route would have operated 10 times a week, and officials have not indicated if the suspension is temporary or permanent. A Russian attempt on Tuesday to reach a ceasefire agreement in Armenia failed, but Armenia and Azerbaijan reached a shaky agreement on Thursday. Armenia reported 105 soldiers had been killed, and Azerbaijan now occupies 10 square kilometers of the Russia-aligned nation. Azerbaijan reported 71 of their troops had died since this week, and denied their troops fired on Russian FSB security services located on the border. Both sides blame each other for the hostilities. In a sentence that could end with, and in other news, hell froze over, the United States and Russia called for both nations to stop the border war. Russia declined to honor an Article 4 declaration of the CSTO agreement on Wednesday and instead promised to send military observers. President Putin and Chinese President Xi Jinping met in Uzbekistan the day after Xi promised to protect Kazakhstan's sovereignty. The Chinese government has been walking a tightrope, maintaining its relationship with Russia and taking advantage of discount oil prices, while honoring Western sanctions on electronics and other critical materials that would aid Russia's war effort. Putin praised Xi for his, quote, balanced position, and said he understood that Beijing had, quote, questions, and concerns about the ongoing, quote, conflict in Ukraine. Putin will travel later in the week to meet with Narendra Modi, the Prime Minister of India. India is Russia's arms customer and has the third-largest military budget in the world, behind only the United States and China. The European Parliament declared that Hungary is no longer a, quote, full-fledged democracy— and is at risk of serious violations of the values of the European Union. The Orban government has been criticized for holding sham elections, white nationalist values as a political platform, anti-Semitism, and anti-LGBTQIA legislation. The vote passed 433 to 123. Hungary is viewed as having a cozy relationship with the Russian Federation, and has been a repeated stumbling block within the EU on sanctions and military aid. And in economic news, German officials announced the nation was taking control of Russia's oil giant Rosneft German unit in response to the Russian government-produced energy crisis in Europe. Federal regulators are nationalizing two enterprises representing 12% of Germany's oil refining capacity. Sanctions are starting to hit the treasury of the Russian Federation, with stabilization programs, reduced tax revenues, and war spending evaporating the budget surplus Moscow had at the start of the year. The Moscow Times reported that across-the-board budget cuts of 10% are expected, and that's above and beyond previous austerity programs that began in March. Unsurprisingly, military spending increases are going forward as planned. A report from the International Energy Agency predicted that the upcoming energy embargo from Europe would decrease Russian oil exports by 1.9 million barrels a day starting in December. The drop is expected to cut Russian oil production by 17 percent. The exchange rate for the Russian ruble was unchanged at 60 rubles for one U.S. dollar. Oil prices continued to decline, with WTI crude trading at $85 a barrel and Brent dropping to $91 a barrel. RBOB wholesale United States gasoline on the spot market was at $2.41 a gallon, or $0.64 a liter. Chicago SRW wheat futures were down, trading at $8.43 a bushel for December 2022 delivery. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates.
0: Until then, stay safe, everyone.